And hello from Boise, Idaho, in Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and the politics of education. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And this is like, uh, this is a podcast where we've got like about four gallons worth of education news to squeeze into a little tiny growler. So <laughs> we're going to dive right into it. And I'm going to start with you, Clark, the latest chapter in the disputes and discussions over school, over teacher evaluations and the accountability aspect of that. A pretty big dust up Thursday between the state board and State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra got us caught up. Yeah, uh, state board meeting uh, up in North Idaho uh, this week. There was a big showdown over accountability data between uh, the members of the State Board of Education and then Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ibarra, who by virtue of her elected office is a member of right. the State Board mm-hmm. of Education. The whole question that the State Board was going to consider, and this is just one small item on a lengthy agenda for meetings that spread out over two days, was about adding four new uh, data collection elements to the accountability data. Um, And basically what happened was the State Board of Education officials said these four new data points, uh, the legislature has asked for them, the governor has asked for them to give assurances that teachers are properly earning raises under the new career ladder salary law. That's the state's big $250 million initiative to raise teacher pay in Idaho over five years. It brings up the minimum teacher salary considerably, uh, and it and it gives raises um, to several different levels of, of educators in there. And so the State Board of Education folks said that we want four new data points to make sure that this is done accurately and correctly and to give a degree of transparency when we're talking about this major new initiative. Mm -hmm. The background is, and this is something that I've talked about uh, with Randy Schrader, with you, Kevin, for the last year and a half, two years, is the accuracy of those teacher evaluations. Mm -hmm. Idaho Ed News was able to document... The accuracy of the data that goes to the state. Right. I mean, what the state receives. Yeah. Idaho Ed News has documented over two years... Uh, false, deliberately false uh, scores that were reported by school districts right. out to the state uh, for these teacher evaluations. And so data accuracy for us was something that was important. So Sherry Ybarra tried to block the collection of these new data points um, on Thursday and got into a sometimes tense discussion with the state board members. Her and her chief deputy, Pete Kohler, said these new data points were pointless, they were useless, they were of no value Um, whatsoever. And the state board folks said, all we're trying to do is show that the teachers are justified in earning their pay raises. And so the data points are the evaluation rating, that's something that's already collected, the number of components on the evaluation that are scored is unsatisfactory, a yes-no response to whether a teacher's students met their achievement targets, a list of the tools used to measure student achievement, and a yes-no response as to whether the teacher has an individualized professional learning plan. The state Board of Education said school districts should already be collecting and reviewing that data Mm -hmm. to determine if a teacher moves up the career ladder. The only extra step here is that they would essentially share that work with the state. They would report that out to the state so there's that layer of accountability and transparency. Um, There was a fight for about a half hour over this and the State Board of Education ended up overruling Sherry Ybarra by a seven to one vote. Ybarra was the only vote uh, Mm -hmm. against it. And so effective immediately, they're going to um, be collecting these new data points. But I thought it was interesting, Kevin, in the fact that there was this clear division 
between the state superintendent and the state board when it came to accountability, when it came to uh, data collection. Yeah, yeah, that kind of jumped off the, the page to me when I was reading this yesterday. And it feels like it's a confluence of a lot of things. I mean, we know that there is tension over the, uh, the evaluation data and the accuracy of that data. And we know that there's a brewing battle next legislative session over the next installment of the career ladder because it's a, a big chunk of money. So that, that could be more of a debate than we've seen in the past couple of years. And, and now this feels like it's a, a different situation where you've got a very uh, public dispute that really surfaced and really kind of came to the fore between the state board and the state superintendent uh, between the governor's state board, his appointees, yeah. and the elected state superintendent uh, and her department and her view about uh, how to move forward on, on this uh, data collection. I don't want to read too much into it, but it feels like it's it feels like maybe there's something to watch here. And I think that's a fair point, Kevin, and I'll give you two examples of why I think that's the case. Um, we have seen this level of tension between the state board, between lawmakers, between the governor and the state superintendent. So here's two examples. A month ago in September, I asked the governor about the accuracy of teacher evaluations. And the go Governor Otter told me that uh, that information was terribly incomplete. And he suggested even that if accuracy, if that issue was not solved, that funding for the career ladder, funding for these teacher raises uh, could hang in the balance. He suggested that if he was in the legislature, he would consider reserving his vote. So that's the first example. The second example is also a month ago, the State Board of Education called for new fines. Uh, of between $10,000 and $50,000 to be levied against any school administrator who, and this is important, deliberately um, submits and uploads false teacher evaluation data to the state of Idaho. I think it would start at $10,000 yeah. and then for a subsequent mm -hmm. um, violation, it, again, deliberately. We're not talking about, we realize there are unintentional accidents, right. omissions, but for deliberate um, falsifying of state data, they called for these Which big fines, and that has occurred, and we've documented that. Uh, so there's two examples already of a little bit of tension uh, between the state board, between the governor and the superintendent's office. This uh, dust-up on Thursday would be the third such example. So a lot more to watch here. We will keep our eyes on it, and... Uh Stay tuned at IdahoHeadNews.org for the latest on this because we'll stay on top of it. Yeah, I want to uh, give a shout-out to Glenn, uh, who's watching in Moscow this morning. Uh, appreciate um, that. And if anybody's interested in a little bit more about this data uh, story, you can check it out at IdahoHeadNews.org. But, yes. Kevin, I have some numbers that I want to get into. Uh, you yeah. tracked um, some new numbers on high school graduation rates. This has been a big talking point. A couple of years ago, we changed the way graduation rates are uh, calculated all across the country. We got some good news in Idaho yeah, this week. Yeah, we got week. some good numbers this week. We got some not-so-good numbers this week. So let's start with the good numbers that came out on Monday. What happened here is uh, the U.S. Department of Education announced the national graduation rates, which are at a record high. And what they also released were, were the reports state by state, so you could get a sense of where, where states rank. So the news for Idaho, the numbers that we've seen already, the 2014-2015 the graduation rate, it moves Idaho up a little bit in the national rankings. We're now uh, 39th in the nation in grad rates, up from 41st. So still a ways to go. It narrows the gap a little bit between Idaho's uh, 
78.9% graduation rate in the national average. Still below average, still a ways to go, but a little bit of a sign of improvement. So the reactions that we heard on Monday were, well, it's a step in the right direction, but we still have work to do. We still want to try to track and figure out how students are kind of falling through the system and what we can do to try to keep them uh, in high school, at least getting their diploma, because let's face it, you know, and we'll, we'll get to it in just a second, as we, as the state keeps trying to get more kids to attend college and graduate from college, well, first things first, they got to get out of high school. Yeah. And we still got, you know, 21% of students who are not graduating high school on time. So that is a, a pretty significant gap that still needs to be addressed. So some good news, but a lot of work left to be done. And just real quickly, I don't want to bore any of our, of our listeners, but real quickly, they've changed the way the graduation rate is, is uh, calculated. Just in the most basic sense, how, how do they do that? How do they calculate uh, okay, that? Okay, really quickly, and you can go to my blog and I explain it more fully. Basically, what you've had happen here in the past couple of years is that Idaho has, has moved to the same model that the federal government and the other states have been using for years, and that is basically you track the kids from ninth grade onward. Yep, starting in the four, it's basically the four-year traditional high school window. Starting with the group of freshmen, we're looking at the percentage of those uh, kids who go through and graduate in four years, right? right? So you're counting dropouts and you're counting students who leave the system within that four-year window, as opposed to the old days when Idaho just counted uh, kids who dropped out in 12th grade. Well, guess what? If you're going to count over four years you're obviously going to have more students dropping out. So your numbers are going to go down. But again, this has kind of challenged an old assumption that we had in Idaho for a number of years, that Idaho had a really strong high school graduation rate, even if those college attendance numbers were low. Well, we know, and these numbers kind of confirm, still got a long way to go on the high school graduation rates. Before we can even address the go-on rates, and we heard those numbers on Wednesday at that same state board meeting, and those are uh, fairly surprising numbers. This is, this is probably going to be a concern uh, for a lot of folks, but the go-on rate, so what we're talking about here is the uh, percentage of high school graduates who go on uh, to college, to some form mm -hmm. of post-secondary mm -hmm. education, within a year of graduating high school. Uh, that's something that's followed closely in education circles, and Idaho's percentage dropped from 52% to 46% uh, in one year between 2014 and 2015. It also decreased a little bit the year before. Uh, so it was at 54% just two years ago. Now it's down to 46%. And so this is important because it's not the same as, but it's related to Idaho's flagship goal for education, Kevin. We see it all the time during the legislative session. Uh, state officials uh, have a goal that by the year 2020, 60% um, of Idaho's young adults will hold some sort of a post-secondary degree or a certificate. And so this go-on rate is related to mm -hmm. that. And, and I think this was significant because the story has changed. The story has changed from folks were warning us that we may not make that uh, goal anyways uh, by the year 2020, but now yeah. the narrative has changed from more than half of our high school graduates were going on to college within one year. Now it's less than half. Uh, and the number has dipped by 8% over the past mm -hmm. two years. And uh, I got a little bit of early reaction watching that State Board of Education meeting. 
board member Richard Westerberg had said that uh, it was disappointing because uh, policymakers had hoped that by focusing on dual credit, this advanced course load mm -hmm. that students can take to get college credits out of the way while they're still in high school, he had thought that would really um, help boost that go-on rate, that students would get a jump start on college, it would be more affordable, they would demonstrate to themselves they can do college-level work while still in high school, and that would maybe shift uh, things, uh, change up the culture a little bit. Uh, and, and what he told the state board was, we all thought intuitively that if we got really good at that, we could affect the go-on rates. But, at least in the short term, it doesn't seem to be having much effect at all, is what he said. So right. there's obviously some concern from some policymakers. And like I said, that is a closely watched number, along with the high school graduation rate in um, education circles. And we will dig into these numbers further and try to uh, do some follow-up reporting in the next few days to sort of explain what's going on here. But, you know, long story short, this idea of a 60% goal by the year 2020, which seemed kind of a long shot before these new numbers came in, it seems to be even further uh, down the road, further down the horizon is something that's attainable. There are some complicating factors. Uh, if, if folks move out of Idaho or move in Idaho, that affects it and it, and it gets complicated. But it is tough to see if you have less than 50% of your high school graduates going on, how you can get to a population of 60% or more right. having some sort of higher education. Uh, that's all there at Idaho Ed News. If you want to dig into it a little bit more, we will follow up uh, with decision Station makers we'll and educators. About this. I also want to talk about presidential politics, Kevin. Uh, I've heard we have an election coming up. I've heard yeah, that really, right. there was a big debate uh, this past week. Um, Presidential election has covered a lot of topics, and it's been contentious, and people feel strongly about it, and I get that. One thing it hasn't really touched on is education policy, mm -hmm. right? Well, so we heard a lot of things on Wednesday night, right? We heard uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton call each other puppets. Uh, we heard that Donald Trump is still harboring bad feelings about not getting an Emmy for The Apprentice. Um, called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman. I mean, there was a lot of back and forth. There were some bad person. hombres. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could go on and on with the sound bites, but guess what? And we kind of knew this going in, not a lot of discussion of education topics. So uh, basically, the education issue went 0 for 4 in these debates uh, when you factor in the, the vice presidential debate as well. Very little discussion of education issues. So knowing that, I put together a piece, and you can see this at idahoednews.org, and I kind of went through the, what the candidates have said about education in the past and tried to cobble together, well, if they were actually asked questions about K-12 through policy, what might they say? So I've kind of looked at sort of how do the candidates uh, assess the state of our schools, uh, where they stand on charter schools, Common Core, uh, what some of their funding priorities might be if, if elected. Uh, so you get a sense. Uh, of kind of where these candidates stand on education issues. So you can check that out at idahoednews.org. I thought this was a really cool thing, Kevin. You looked through transcripts of, of their speeches. You, you sifted through their websites. And you really used the two candidates' own words to talk about their position on education. I just think this is so valuable because it didn't come up in the debates. It, it hasn't been the big talking point uh, at the rallies, at the town hall meetings that we see for either candidate. But you used their own words, the transcripts of their own speeches, and uh, broke it down into about four or five key education policy 
issues, everything from uh, you know charter schools and, and school choice uh, to the philosophies on education and uh, really useful stuff. Just because and, no and one has to have a little bit of fun it. with the format. So if you read the story, you'll see that it's not a traditional story. It's written more like you know, like a debate. I mean, if if they were asked about charter schools, what might they say? So we kind of go into that and do a little bit more detail, and it's it's stuff that really has not been touched upon in the debate. So if you're if you're interested in uh, how K twelve issues, uh, you know, create you know distance and differentiation between the candidates, and they do, check out the story and you'll you'll get caught up. Okay, I want to move away from the national election and focus specifically on an Idaho issue, Kevin. We have. A constitutional amendment, a proposed constitutional amendment on our ballot that, as Idahoans, we will see on Election Day. And it gets in the weeds, man. It gets a little it, it confusing, really... and it deals with administrative rules. Uh, I'm going to let you handle this <laughs> yeah, one. Okay. What, uh, what, what can you tell us about this to help us prepare uh, for when HJR 5 is staring us in the face on the ballot on Election Day? Okay. So I used to have a newspaper editor who, who described stories like this as DDI, dull but important. <laughs> yeah. This constitutional amendment is dull and it's arcane, but it is important. So what we have in Idaho is a process where state agencies write rules, not just the education agencies, but that's obviously where we pay our our attention. They write the rules and the legislators review those rules in committee. That's how committees spend a lot of the first few weeks of the legislative session. Not really talking about bills, but talking about administrative rules, which have the force of law if they go into effect. Idaho legislators have a unique ability to uh, approve rules or reject rules. Uh, Not many states allow this. Uh, And the constitutional amendment is basically designed to enshrine that language into the state constitution. Uh, Legislators say that they're concerned that this power to review rules could be taken away by, uh, by a court at some point. So they're seeking this amendment as protection. Passed the legislature overwhelmingly in March. Now we have a really interesting debate going on here because Attorney General Lawrence Watson has come out strongly against this amendment. Uh, Dan Schmidt, senator from Moscow, who was the only senator to vote against this on the floor in March, has written a piece uh, criticizing the amendments and urging people to vote against it. And the, the debate kind of comes down to, is this a power grab by the legislature or not? Uh, Wasden has suggested that this basically w- would take the courts out of the process of ever being able to review the rulemaking uh, procedure at the legislature. You know, legislators counter and say, well, we're trying to protect our right here, and we're trying to pre- protect the public's right to have a say in rules. Because they say the legislators are elected, which they are. They're held accountable by the people. And, and the argument by people that favor the passage of this is that state agencies, those folks aren't necessarily elected. Those folks aren't accountable in the same way. But in terms of would this create something new, it, it's already a practice that's it really going wouldn't. on. It would sort of uh, cast in concrete a process that is already going on. And why should you care about this process? And you should care about this process because... Administrative rules are really dull and they're really uh, esoteric until they aren't. And sometimes they're very important. I mean, we go back five years, 
Common Core was approved in the education committees by rule. There was never a vote on the floor on Common Core. And very few people noticed or knew what it meant exactly. at the time. It just kind of, it, it, it was under It was the about radar. three weeks after the students come first. Or, yeah, after right this. in the middle of the students come first legislative session, Common Core was approved, and I don't think uh, there was much attention paid to it. A couple of years later, we saw the legislature reject the very controversial tiered teacher licensure rule. And when that was off the table, that sort of, I guess you could say it kind of cleared the, the, cleared the landscape and allowed for negotiations that led to the career ladder law that went into effect. These new science standards that were proposed standards, uh, yes. by a team of, of, of some of the top science educators in the state of Idaho, that was an administrative rule that was reject, rejected by the legislature And now uh, it's on hold year. for at least the next year, maybe until 2018. So this does come up. This does affect Idahoans in tangible ways, even though it seems a lot like inside baseball, and it is, but it, there are tangible but important ways where it affects all of us, right? And, and emphasize one point that's really important here as well. The people get the final say on this. The amendment was passed in the legislature, but to ratify a constitutional amendment, a majority of voters have to say yes. Voters rejected a similar amendment in 2014. HJR 2. HJR 2. Now we're up to HJR 5. But it's basically the same language, the same intent, and the same dynamic here. The final say goes to the voters. The voters will decide on that on November 8th. So check out our story at idahoednews.org and get caught up on the debate over this amendment. And be informed because uh, this one's up to you guys. It'll give you a little bit of a confidence boost heading into the polls on Election Day. And that's something that I always appreciate. Uh, real quick. Um, way back to Monday. It feels like a, a month ago. But on Monday, we had our, our school funding committee on the road in Post Falls. You were there. Give us kind of the synopsis of what uh, what occurred. So right now, as a lot of you guys know, the legislature is working on, they have an interim committee put together that is studying the possibility of rewriting the school's complex school funding model. This is the biggest expense for the state of Idaho, almost $1.6 billion uh, annually out of the general fund goes to K-12 public schools. Uh, the formula involves average daily attendance right now. It has not been rewritten in something like 22 years. Critics of that formula say it does not take into account modern phenomena such as online learning, such as student mobility. And so there have been meetings uh, this off-season uh, with a group of important, powerful lawmakers who mm -hmm. are going around the state soliciting feedback and ideas for rewriting that funding formula. I flew up to North Idaho, up to Post Falls on Monday. I took part in that, about an eight-hour meeting. You know, the, the group, they're going to continue their work into 2017. They're not going to have a recommendation for this upcoming legislative session. And it was kind of interesting what happened. Uh, Representative Wendy Horman, who is one of the co-chairwomen of this committee, uh, took a different approach. She broke the group of lawmakers into four small groups, and she actually invited business managers and superintendents, mm -hmm. uh, trustees from small rural school districts up in North Idaho, your Lakelands, your Post Falls, your West Bonner counties, to sit down with lawmakers and say, what are the realities of school funding in your district? What's working? What's not working? Predictably, they said they kind of got nearful, it sounds a, like. a lot is not working. Specifically, Bob Reynolds from the Wallace School District said, quote, I am not sure I would say anything is working, end quote. I want to boil down the, the debate to two big kind of overall philosophical points okay. that, that show where we're all right now. 
Thing number one, this whole thing comes down to what is the responsibility of the state of Idaho versus local taxpayers when it comes to funding of public schools. That's thing number one. Thing number two, this question came up quite a bit on Monday. Is the current school funding formula broken or is it not being funded correctly? And so that's kind of where we're at right now in the debate. We've got these two philosophical questions that they're looking at answering. Um, there's a couple proposals being, not even proposals, ideas that are being talked about. One would be to move to an enrollment model of funding as opposed to an attendance-based, but got a lot of work to do. If you want to get caught up, um, it's at idahoednews.org. Look back uh, in our archives to Monday, 17th of October. The headline is School Administrators outline funding concerns. And, and before it flies out of my head, I've got to give you credit for the thing one and thing two. This is like, how would Dr. Seuss explain <laughs> well, yeah. what the funding formula committee is doing? So I like that. That was a good touch. All but right. And a good rundown at adoednews.org at, at if you want to get caught up. So it's been a week. It's been a full week. We will be back uh, next week. We'll be doing some follow-ups on what happened with these go-on numbers and what does it mean. We'll be getting ready for the trends. election. We've got, uh, we'll be one week closer to the election, so we will have uh, probably a full docket of things to discuss in next week's podcast. All right. I think we're out of time. As always, I want to thank everybody who watched on Facebook Live this morning. Uh, I want to invite folks to follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter to keep up with the conversation all throughout the week. If you're listening to the legacy version of the podcast, which is available on Fridays through iTunes, uh, follow Idaho, connect with Idaho Education News on Facebook to catch these Facebook Live broadcasts and links to all of our stories. But as always, thanks so much for watching. We'll be back next week. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.